Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. We want to welcome to the Saltivation Show today, Mike Bernard, Chief Tax Officer at Vertex, a global provider of indirect tax software solutions founded almost 25 years ago. We want to discuss with Mike how Vertex stays up to date on the quickly changing landscape of indirect taxes and what they are keeping their eye on that could potentially upset and impact clients and taxpayers. We will also discuss Mike's past roles as U.S. Tax Counsel for Microsoft, a position where he had a front row seat to rapid changes in technology and how those changes impacted tax reporting. Thank you so much, Mike, for being with us today. We really appreciate your time and your brain. (laughs) Thank you, Meredith, for being here. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So what exactly does a chief tax officer do for a software company? Sure. Um, So I've had two distinct roles, one when I was at Microsoft and then the other one that I've had here at Vertex. So when I was at uh, Microsoft, I actually was leading the functional tax department there, uh, an extensive part of it. So essentially, it's probably easier just to say the two pieces that I probably wasn't responsible for. I wasn't responsible for the foreign subsidiaries, at least the day-to-day operations of that. And I wasn't responsible for the global tax policy issues. I was responsible for state tax policy issues. But everything else I was responsible for, for direct, indirect, uh, running IT, property taxes, business licenses, uh, anything that you can imagine in terms of running a, a tax department. So that's essentially what I did for almost uh, 28 years there. When I came over to Vertex, and Vertex was actually, uh, we used them substantially when I was at Microsoft. And so the chief tax officer role here doesn't um, report up through the CFO, which normally chief tax officers do. I actually report into the executive leadership team. And what we do there is we actually have about four or five people in our group uh, senior tax people, um, either lawyers or accountants or CPAs. And essentially what we do is we do a series of things. The most important thing we do is we host about 24 in-person events per per year with our customers. So we have a lot of enterprise customers, uh, Fortune 200 or Fortune 500 customers, and we run basically kind of a half-day program on tax, on what our product management roadmap looks like, uh, innovation, and then a lot of table topic discussions around uh, serving them as a as a good customer, or you know obviously uh, some best tips about how to keep their tech stack um, updated and current. So that's essentially what I did today. So I moved from serving just Microsoft uh, for all of those years, and I had an opportunity to go and work in the transaction tech space, which I've always loved, always enjoyed doing that, uh, but also with this idea of emerging technology. So kind of two different careers but obviously have enjoyed both doing both of those things. So, How many people were you managing in the tax department for Microsoft? Was And I assume it was separated by uh, issue. Like you have a, a sales tax team, a, a property tax team and so forth. About how big was that department overall, aside from global? So, and- sh- sure. So overall, globally, it was probably about 80. We had a pretty leveraged model at the time. So we used a lot of big four uh vendors to actually achieve a lot of things that we needed to get done, at least in the planning space. So the number of people that I was managing was around 35 or so. So I had several, I had about 30 
sales and use tax and indirect people. Uh, I had a tech technology group, and then I also had folks who were actually doing the uh, state and local returns, tax returns, and then the policy work. So, and then we had five or so people that were pure just technologists that actually ran our tech stack. So about a range of about 35 or so. And what was the tech stack? Was it, did you use Vertex? We, we did use Vertex. Yeah, that was our preferred right. provider. <laughs> we did. We, right. had, we had some other ones too. <laughs> okay. And we had some other ones too. But interestingly enough, one of the things that, uh, and we ran on SAP. So one of the interesting things about that, that was the most learning that I really got around tech stack was when I was there, I actually did three implementations of Vertex and one major upgrade. So, so I actually did a telecom uh, integration because when we bought Skype, I actually had to put that in. Uh, and then we also pulled out the um, functionality for SAP for VAT for Europe. So we were one of the first five companies that actually did something like that. Tax engines were something, as you well know, they, they, SAP was a favored provider as it related to VAT calculations, but then we, we've, that since has changed. So that was the, the second thing that I put in. The third thing that we put in was towards the last couple of years that I was at Microsoft is for years and years, you couldn't go to Microsoft and actually buy anything. You had to buy everything through a channel. So we actually built the backend functionality for our uh, for a marketplace. So everything, if we were selling services or hardware or software or um, learning, all of that, we built a backend for that. And then the last piece that I did was a major upgrade on a, royal, on a uh, royalty sub. So in all of that learning, you really kind of learn between what the requirements are, how to serve the business, but then what's the best functioning tech stack that you can actually build to have, if you will, and you know this, to have kind of frictionless commerce uh, for uh, for the customer. So great, and great you're trying learning. To anticipate, yeah, and anticipate like what could happen, right? And build something that exactly. you can adapt with you. It's an interesting, and then obviously you went from on-prem to SaaS, cloud. That did not we exist. Did. <laughs> we, we, we did. And you know what's really interesting today too is we've got a lot of customers and they have an on-prem solution, they have a cloud solution, they have mobile, uh, they're selling through their own marketplace, and then they're selling through an, through another marketplace. So there are just all these different platforms, as you know, that you never even envisioned that that was even going to happen. But but clearly today, technology has enabled all of those things. And you've got to be pretty nimble to move across all of those, mainly to kind of get all your data together so you can do proper tax reporting. So it's really challenging for a lot of the companies that we serve. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Assimilating the data to get the yeah, to get the right reporting. Like this is a million comprised of all these pieces. Yeah, no, tech is tech. It's like, get it out, get it done. Oh, sales tax, whatever, right? Yeah. Or reporting, yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. really important exactly. to understand that. So the reporting is accurate. Yep, well, exactly. And, you know, with those technological shifts, you know, being at Microsoft in the 90s and then leaving 28 years later, how has that kind of like, you know, ability to be nimble and adapt to like those huge technological swings that happened during that 28-year period, how has that kind of helped you kind of in, in your role at Vertex? Sure. I think one thing that I really have enjoyed being at Vertex... What, Obviously, at Microsoft, I had a lot of deep learning on at Microsoft, and I talked about that a little bit earlier. But one thing that you really find out at 
at Vertex when you serve a larger community of customers is that you have to come with this idea that they're all on their own technology journey. No, Nobody's ever the same and they all have, and even though they may be in the retail business as an industry, or they may be in oil and gas, or they may be in leasing, or they may be in financial services, they're, they're all at a different place as you move along their journey as to how technologically capable they are of serving not just their not just their internal corporation but their customers and so if 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 you will you have to take them as they are and then and then just figure out like okay now where is it that you you really want to go and i and i think one of the things that is a common thread that runs through all of that though is we at Vertex, when we're hired, we're there because they've selected us to actually help them with their transaction tax, um, you know, th- their reporting and their tech stack. And so you really have to be very honest with them and understand what their systems are currently and what they're capable of actually doing and and in moving forward and making themselves more compliant and de-risking their environment altogether, while at the same time serving their customers well and providing kind of a frictionless experience for for their commerce so you just you just have to keep in mind that they all move at their own pace they all they all have different funding mechanisms they have different capabilities just in terms of personnel but overall we're there to kind of help them move along as quickly and as efficiently as as they can and establishing like a, a good roadmap ahead of time that I think a lot of other providers out there, they were connector focused, but the service and the technology was not well understood by the buyer. And so we just want to get that message out that, you know, and if anything you buy technologically, you need to make sure it, it works for you today and tomorrow because ripping and replacing is expensive. But I think a lot of people like just get it done, get it in. Oh, I didn't think it did the thing because it's really hard to make all those decisions especially the larger you are, the more places you're doing business. It, it is. And I will tell you in all of the implementations, the upgrades that I did at Microsoft, the one thing that that we've always focused on and then we've always focused on with customers and I've told them this is we spend a lot of time upfront. Just what you said was about the fact you have to understand what your current system is and you have to understand what are the capabilities. Sometimes you already have capabilities within the current system to do the things you want, and we don't actually have to make those improvements or add things, modules on or things like that. But you really have to understand what your ERP is capable of doing uh, and and just really kind of working with IT also and the tax department, obviously, in, in terms of providing you know the best and most efficient system. So a lot of time up front making sure we document what what the system is capable of doing today currently. So. Well, and I think, I think that's a good reminder just in general that, you know, when you're kind of in a client service business, right, as Vertex is, as we are, is that remembering that no one is the same and that you Correct. do need to remember where people are at and meet them and kind of work with them in the capacity that they have, you know, whether, you know, it's timing, staffing, technology, budget, that yes, not everyone is the same and that you need to treat all of the businesses and all of the people that you interact with as if they are their own unique entity, because that's, that's exactly what they are. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I've run into engagements when I've been here at Vertex where there's tremendous capabilities within tax and tremendous capabilities within it. Uh, And then I've run into other companies where you thought like they would have, 
people who are more deeply knowledgeable about their tax or their IT systems, and they're not. And so you you always have to kind of gauge yourself and, in, and involve with them the ability to actually either move up or move down wherever they're at in that in that space and actually serve them the best that they can. And so some clients require more handheld type of service and others you can put things out there and give them a direction and then check back with them in a week and they will have accomplished some of the things that that they're that they set out to do so it's you really have to be very very adaptable uh, around all of these engagements it's it's fun it's exciting uh but but it and that's part of what makes it very dynamic yeah and i think about the sales tax compliance team like i feel like a little bit that's maybe a little bit of a dying career path because there's a back-end automated compliance. If you set up the front end right, you could just uh, review and not actually do all the returns. But from the legacy sales tax uh, company, you know, companies that collect sales tax, typically that was done by a human internally. And I was part of what we call the co-sourcing movement at Deloitte, where we would take over part and parcel of different functions. And then part of that team went to Vertex years ago um, when we sold it to a part of it, you know, somewhere else. So, but I thought part of why we got people to use our service was because people could go on a vacation. <laughs> they, all they did was file tax returns all month, right? It was right. so many and so much volume and so much data coming in to actually file that return. Right. People couldn't leave between the end of the month and the 20th when those filings were done. And then it started over again. So you found that it was really even a staffing problem. Quite honestly, it I found uh, going to market with that many for many many years at Deloitte. So um, understanding the client's challenges and then people need to go on vacation and have sick time and things happen. And so if you are really counting on that one human or two humans to do things and you don't cross train, you're really going to run up against problems when things are due. So it's interesting that you manage the manual filing right from the beginning. And then maybe that went to automation or you're like, these people are really good. They know what's going on this return. They could support my audit. I'm going to keep them until they retire. So, yeah, it's really been an interesting transition, I think, in the workforce. No, I I think you're spot on with that comment because because what you're describing is a single source of failure and a single source of success is what you're really Mm -hmm. describing there. And what what we always, if you think of finance groups and you think of the CFO, one of the things that the CFO is supposed to do is supposed to automate things and de-risk, you know, any kind of procedures or highly repeatable transactions or functions within the finance group and that's one of them and what what was probably a bad term say 10 years ago of having of outsourcing your returns or having a provider do those returns that was always kind of a scary thing for folks in the tax department today it's like table stakes and you have to actually (laughs) take everything from everything that is sold to calculating it or it's exempt and then moving it through to the return and then actually storing it and so all of those things just have to be done. They're required, and they actually fit the governance model much better than than kind of the old way that you were, were describing there. Well, even for me, I would get a lot of offers to go on house, and I'm like, I don't want to prepare returns solely every month. I want to oversee. I want to manage audits. I want to provide strategic advice. So I could do that better by helping a lot of people than helping one person. Unless I go to a very large multinational company, but then. Once again, you have a group and you have to silo it. And then I also felt like my skills could be held, uh, used more across the nation. There's so many people that don't understand this, especially small to medium business. I mean, even zero to a hundred million, they could still be privately held. So you've got just a, a deep disconnect from information. And then even CFOs, if you think about a CFO, they come out of the audit team typically. You hardly ever see a CFO with a tax background. 
So you've just got a disconnect between the education. I have a master's of tax, never took a sales tax or state tax class, federal only. Really? Why is that? Right. So even our education system has been catching up to the state tax. And yet you and I are impacted by that every single day with every transaction we make anywhere. Gas, food, clothing, lodging, rental cars, travel, consumption taxes are everywhere. So, and I went to Europe last summer and it was 17 to 19%. I can't remember every single invoice that every single right. one. I'm like 17 to 19. And we're complaining about eight to 10. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of exactly. interesting dichotomy. That speaks of the dynamic nature that you had spoken about earlier and kind of what we're seeing right now is the fast pace just changes, right? Like Wayfair, we had 46 states come on board with Wayfair and just things in the sales tax realm. And maybe even, you know, the broader scope of of tax in general. You know, how does Vertex stay on top of that, like, you know, that fast paced change of rates, holidays, policy stuff that's that's happening particularly i would imagine some stuff is going to come out of the legislative a lot of the legislative session this year being it's a big you know kind of presidential election year so how do you all stay up to date on that that just dynamic nature of sales taxes you all are you know kind of responsible for making sure that you know the right rate is being charged when it changes however often in all of these jurisdictions yeah so it's 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 a Really good question because um, every month, what we uh, what Vertex produces what's called an MDU, a monthly data update, and it is a file that is put out there so that um, our customers can go out and pull that file down, and it has all the updated rates and rules for that month. So that is just a core piece of our business. We've we've done that now for over 40, 45 years or so, and we've never missed posting an update. Obviously, there are some things that kind of can change after the updates posted and we make some changes to that. So that is like a key piece of what we do. Uh, I managed a group for, or led a group for a couple of years within Vertex called the Tax Research Group. And we had 110 researchers uh, globally who actually helped us actually keep all of those rates um, up to date. So if you bought a refrigerator in Seattle or you bought it in Connors, Georgia, or you bought it in Germany, our team was able to actually keep those rates kind of updated uh, along the way. And so we had a lot of research that was actually done using third-party researching tools to kind of update that file every month. And I gotta tell you, the the folks that are in the research group, and this is like the really wonderful thing about them is we just try to hire people who were either in accounting, so they were in big four, or they were in industry and they actually did sales tax compliance or they just have a really good sales tax background. Maybe they worked for the government. Some of them actually worked in publishing and they come over. So we have like four or five different varied sets of people who actually do all the research. And I will tell you this, when we go out and we visit with customers uh, in these user groups, which I mentioned earlier, that is one of the folks that the users actually wanna talk about first because they always wanna know how we do it. And then they secondly also want to know, I think, Meredith, what you were saying was, well, what's what's on the, on the horizon? What are the things you guys keep in your eyes on? And and one of the things I think that we've we've definitely tried to do is we've we've have a list of things that we're, we're looking at today. But there's also features that have to go into the software too. say like bundling. If you, a lot of our customers sell bundles and so you have to pull those bundles apart and tax them properly. 
a number of them uh, are starting to sell uh, NFTs. And so we're, that's something that we're looking at. Uh, we're also following the things around crypto and, and what actually is crypto going to be taxed. And obviously, a lot of states have their eyes on crypto and those and the NFTs as a source as as a source of revenue for transaction tax purposes. So there's a lot of things that we we continue to look at. But again, the, the core piece of what we're trying to do is get that monthly update out every uh, every month uh, with accurate rates and rules. So, yeah, we use we helped a client that sells like bullion, gold coins. I mean, because a lot of people invest in that. And is that currency yep. or is that investment? And it is de- very different across America. And so we help build that for a company. I, it's just some, it's amazing what different companies do. You're like, I would have thought that was a whole business. It's exactly. just a cool, oh, <laughs> oh, it's a thing. It's taxable. Right. Um, and then of course there's only one of them. It's not like there's thousands of these rare things. So, um, yeah, so it's interesting. And they use Vertex to, uh, deal their sales tax. So we help them kind of yep. get through that. We've done that with a couple companies in that space. So great. Does, Ver- does Vertex tend to stay out of kind of policy or kind of lobbying in terms of like the digital ad tax is bad? You know, sure. that's <laughs> footnote. That's not a policy of Vertex. Those are just words that came out of my mouth. Don't want to get mm-hmm. don't want to get Mike in trouble. But is that no. something that, you know, Vertex generally tends to stay silent on or just kind of like in the background, keep your eye on some of these these changes so that you can be ready to go once, you know, Maryland makes a decision. Yeah, sure. So where we, where we try to be is obviously we're not trying to do direct lobbying around certain things about rates and rules. As you know, that leads to kind of like winners and losers. And we, we really kind of can't do that kind of work. What we tend to do is we always tend to think of administrative responsibility and administrative ease and efficiency. So one, I'll give you a, an example. Uh, for example, when Wayfair came down, uh, one of the things that we did was we worked extensively with the MTC, the Multi-State Tax Commission, which I think a lot of the folks on the podcast kind of know. It's it's a group of mm-hmm. government people, it's big four, it's companies, and then it's professional vendors like ourselves who we were advocating for the most administratively responsible and efficient way to actually see how marketplaces were actually, what were they going to be responsible for? Are they going to be responsible for collecting or emitting, for reporting, for audit defense, for all of the things that kind of went into the marketplace facilitator rules? And those rules actually got adopted over the last, over the next, say, four or five years. But Mm -hmm. the work that we were doing was trying to make it as, you know, as, as efficiently as possible for customers who actually were hosting those kinds of marketplaces, third-party marketplaces, and those who are actually selling on the third-party marketplaces. So that's that's one place where we were, were working at. Um, today, I think both of you, know, I think you know that um, that today there is a multi-state tax commission workflow on digital, on the sale of digital assets. So around 20 states actually tax or there's a sales tax on streaming or learning or some kind of digital or audio or video uh, assets that are sold across the internet. So there are different approaches as to how to how sales tax is, is imposed on that. Uh, what's the jurisdiction that has the right to do that? So we're actually working with them, uh, with the Multi-State Tax Commission, again, to make sure that we have rules that actually are in place um, to really kind of help with the administrative piece of that. So that's that's really where we we work with uh, we work out you know at least 
in terms of, if you will, kind of lobbying, that's where we kind of place ourselves. So you wouldn't testify? We haven't been asked to testify uh, on those things to date, but we've always offered to actually do that if, if it's ever needed. So, yes. Well, I'm on the Colorado Governor's Task Force to simplify Colorado's sales tax. And it's funny, I right. thought I want to say I'd asked because I'm, you know, I'm on the coalition. I sit on the on the board on the, the task force. And it's like getting more people to explain, because I, I believe our legislators at one point said, well, technology, you could just plug it in. It'll work. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's no. not that simple. No. And so there was this misbelief um, that was being directed towards legislation to say, well, they can all do it. No problem. I mean. Colorado, when we enacted our Wayfair law, we gave like a six, eight months pass to people. We had a hearing. I mean, people were crying because they could not figure out how to collect the local taxes that are what we call statutory cities and counties. I mean, they weren't ready for that. They collected their own rate in their own city. They did not know they had to put a delivery rate on there. So that was tough on the small to medium business population. Someone who does maybe candy or little uh, flower baskets that they might send out to people. How would you manage that gift baskets? I mean, they, they can't without technology. And even then they don't know how to set it up. So it was a big Herculean effort for even Colorado. So I will make sure to remember that maybe I call you to testify because I have really tried to impress upon our legislators how important this is for business because business is the one collecting the money and you're putting all the onus on them. And I know we pay a little bit each person, but little business doesn't have that. Large business doesn't have it. As you know, you got to be large enough to have an 80 person tax department. Nobody has that in a small and medium business world. So, and then I wanted to just add delivery fee. You guys got the delivery fee out there right away. I mean, I, we did. did you, okay. I didn't know about it until April before it was effective in July. And I was mortified that I did not know that. But Department of Revenue was tasked with enforcing it. It was a transportation bill that I wasn't made aware of through all the tax councils I'm a part of in Colorado. And my understanding from that was Department of Revenue did not enforce it or activate it. So they had to do all the back end IT. I mean, you guys got on that quick. So how did you guys manage that? Like, that's crazy stuff. And that's going to happen more. We can see it coming. Yeah, we we actually have a lot of uh, professional relationships with a lot of the DORs in our research okay, group. So and we, you would get actually, a little, little heads up. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Yeah, so we would we would. That's how we kind of knew about that. So yeah, that's what I thought. I and, need to and, retire. <laughs> well, one other thing I would like to mention too is we. So Meredith, we we have been asked by a lot of the companies that they want us us being Vertex in there uh, trying to make things as you know, responsible administratively, you know, easy as we can for them. And and so they expect us to actually show up and actually work with like say the MTC and certain departments of revenue who are actually kind of moving through and maybe initiating some of these new um, programs. And so we, we've actually have done that, uh, but we do that, you know, normally behind the scenes or through private conversations. And that's normally how, uh, with professionals at the DOR who uh, understand that we have a big, we have a big presence within the transaction space. And so when we come in and we talk to them about some of these things, we actually have a lot of credibility and uh, offer solutions around what, what they might be proposing. So all good work. Yeah. Important work. Cause you see the, mm-hmm. the mass years ago, the team that you work with, 
Dana Malberg and the sales tax co-sourcing team or outsourcing team at Vertex, we had one at Deloitte. And I remember testifying before our Colorado department, our legislator, excuse me, um, about the removal of our discount and how material that was going to be to vendors like Verizon and very large multi-state that are collecting a lot of sales tax. That 3% was going to cost them money, a lot Mm -hmm. of it, when we took that away from their remittances. Mm -hmm. And we've capped it since. And so that was a big thing our Department of Revenue, or not our department, our legislator didn't understand because they wanted to recoup some money. And a fee is not a tax, but it was actually a tax benefit or a a cost benefit to vendors to get a little cut money back mm-hmm. for the cost of collection and enforcement and remittance. So, um, and it was material to them. So it was not a simple, and then, you know, the biggest companies are taking the biggest cost and bearing the biggest risk. So the 3% was a nice little give back to at least give them some compensation for all that uh, compliance they were creating for the state. So but then that went away for a while because it was a fee and they could do yeah. it. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.